You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Mic check, mic check, mic check. Mic check, mic check. Hello, everybody, and welcome to your Monday edition of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have another kick-ass podcast, and today we are joined by a good friend, and he was on one of the original, very first episodes that we did. Uh, His name is Jesse Hurley, and he's one of the owners of Stick and Pick Trail Camera Mounts. So uh, first off, if you haven't already listened to that one, go and do it after this after you get done listening to this podcast and it will tell you a little bit about stick and pick and uh you know how they started it and whatnot but today we're going to be talking with jesse about his 2016 archery kill and uh it's a buck that he has a good amount of history with and uh, it's pretty cool because he goes a certain period of time without harvesting a buck and then capitalizes on uh, this deer that, like I said, he's got he had some history with, and uh, it's a pretty cool and exciting story. So uh, check it out, stick around for that. Also, here in Iowa, quick update: I'm recording this podcast on a Sunday, so as we as I'm recording this right now, I have my hunting gear down in the washer with some scent-free soap, getting re- my clothes ready for round two. I'm pulling out the the big heavy overalls and the uh, the big heavy jackets and all the wool socks and all the um, heating pads for the hands. But uh, because right now in Iowa it is the high today got to negative eight degrees. Um, there's a slight wind chill, so the wind chill is higher. Today is the last day of shotgun season, so when most of you are actually listening to this on Monday. There's going to, it's the first day that archery opens back up in the state of Iowa. So that's my round two, so to speak. Uh, I've located some, uh, some standing corn uh, near one of my buddy's properties. And the goal is to get in there, set up a stand uh, that is kind of in a transition point from where they're bedding to where some of the standing corn is. I'm going to give it, uh, you know, right up until the end, maybe try to harvest the doe. My, my wife honestly wants me to try to kill another buck for some reason. Uh, very supportive, and that's kind of cool. But, you know, 
it's late season. If a deer is going to be patternable, it's this time of year. I got trail cameras on several trails coming to that standing corn, and the hopes is that I can uh, um, catch one in one of these brutally cold days that we have. Uh, it looks like we're only going to have maybe two more days of really, really cold, then it's going to warm back up into the low 30s again, and uh, some of the snow that we currently have on the ground might melt. Um, the warmer weather will, you know, that's going to be a 25-degree temperature change to a warmer weather so they're not going to be as i guess hard pressed to get out of their beds and go feed early in the day uh, this cold weather man they have to eat or they'll die so they got to keep they got to keep moving they got to stay warm and uh yeah so that's my goal but before we get into today's podcast let's talk real quickly with john livingston from deer lab about how easy Deer Lab is to use. Deer Lab is super simple. We basically give you tools to drag and drop your photos from an SD card or from your computer directly into Deer Lab, and we automate a majority of the process. We automatically sync with your w local weather station and bring in weather data that trail cameras can't capture. We also uh, bring in um, automatically organize all of your photos by date. We give you tools as far as filtering and all that, but it's really super simple. Um, as, as long as you can drag and drop or select photos from your computer, you pretty much know how to use Deer Lab. All right. So Deer Lab has set up a specific URL uh, for the listeners of this podcast. So if you go to DeerLab.com slash nine fingers, that's the number nine followed by the word fingers, no spaces, then you can sign up for a 30 day free trial period. Um, and that is way more time than a your average trial period, I think from seven days to 30 days. So uh, Nine Finger Chronicle listeners, go to that URL, deerlab.com slash nine fingers, and you will receive a free 30-day trial of Deer Lab. Uh, trust me when I say it's a pretty cool tool that allows you to track uh, deer movement on the properties that you hunt. So Let's get in to today's Monday edition Hunter Profile podcast with Jesse Hurley of Wisconsin. All right, on the phone with me now is good friend, and he was actually a guest on one of the very first podcasts that I ever put out. He is one of the owners of Stick and Pick. Welcome back, Jesse Hurley. Thanks, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing great, doing great. Uh, looks to me like you had a, a pretty successful bow season uh, this year. That is correct. It was a good, it was a good year. It's been a while since I shot a buck, so anytime I can, anytime I can tag a buck, it is a great year. Yeah, for sure. I hear that. Now we're not going to talk about that right at the moment. Like I said, uh, you were one of the very first guests on this podcast. Uh, you because you're one of the owners of a company called stick and pick, uh, actually a, a company, a product that I really, really love. How, how has business been for stick and pick? Business has been, has been really good. We are, uh, you know, it seems that trail camera mounts and camera mounts in general are becoming, you know, a little bit more 
commonly used and talked about. Um, you know, people are, you know, with the increase in, in use in, in trail cameras and, you know, people are really starting to, to, you know, understand how important it is to, to get, get your camera mounted in, in the right spot in the right position. So, yeah, I mean, as camera, the camera industry go, grows and is grow, growing, um, you know, obviously people are using more trail cameras and they're, they're, you know, the people that are really, really into it are, are figuring out if they haven't already that, that uh, mount like ours can be a great asset to setting up your trail cams. Definitely. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's going, it's going, it's going well. It's been a good year and, you know, we're, we're still a, a small company based out of Wisconsin. Um, but we are growing and, and, uh, heading in the right direction. So perfect. Well, I tell you all the listeners out there, if you haven't had a chance to go all the way back and listen to the stick and pick uh, podcast that me and Jesse did previously, I strongly suggest you do that. But today we are actually going to do a bit of a, a hunter profile podcast on Jesse. You recently saw um, a really good buck, um, one that you have a lot of history with. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And um, cool. I think quick apologies. We had a little bit of a problem with the recording software, but I pick up the interview when I ask Jesse to describe some of his hunting properties. Timber would do without any interference from man, and, and, it, and it's gotten really thick in some spots because a lot of these these old oaks, oak uh, stands, and uh, a lot of elm stands in there that are dying out have opened some of it up, and it's it's almost all of the wooded area on this property is, is bedding. I mean, I'd say probably not almost all of it, but probably 50% of let's say 30 acres or 25 acres uh, of the wooded is, is really good bedding habitat, um, which is, which is why it's so good. And the fact that I stay out of all of that habitat until, you know, the time is right. So, I mean, the only time I step foot in the, in the, in the spot I shot this buck is, is, uh, basically when I'm doing any tree stand prep work, which would be probably, you know, in a perfect world, it'd be June, but realistically, most of the time with life being as it is, it's usually August. Um, so I'm in there for maybe a day or two in August. I, I go through there and look for sheds in the spring and then, you know, if I get in there and hunt two or three times in a season, it uh, really that's about it. That's the only time I step foot in there. Okay, so it's a big piece of property with kind of concentrated timber, and uh, that's where a lot of the deer. And it's mostly bedding, from what you've said. Um, mm-hmm. How how do the deer use that property? Uh, do are they bedding on it a lot, or are they in between different properties? Well, they bounce around, but the, the thing is, you know, this property is next to two other properties that, you know, the landowners hunt it themselves. Pressure is, is limited. Actually, there's three property owners there. The pressure is limited to, you know, a couple of guys. So it sees enough pressure that these deer, you know, I think anyways, you know, I think, I think they know. You know, I, I think they feel this pressure during the season. I think I think the property I hunt actually gets better 
as the hunting season goes on because um i you know i think deer gravitate to the areas where they're they're bothered the least and um i think deer definitely do hop around i mean there's there's you know i i run trail cameras for you know in an area that's probably two square miles and i see deer you know in one spot uh one night and i'll have a picture of them two miles away uh five nights later and i think they just kind of rotate and they they just hop from spot to spot to spot and they've got their their special you know their bedding areas where they really like to hang and they kind of hop from each one of those to the next and obviously you know this time of the year there's when they're you know it's starting to get cold and there's food sources they're going to stick tighter to those areas that are closest to the food but um yeah i think i think they definitely hop around but this spot is is you know because of the amount or the the lack of pressure to it i think i think deer do stick a little bit tighter uh on on that property i mean i'm not saying they stay there all the time because i know they don't but it seems like every year there's there's a buck a mature buck that really calls that area as home and he just hangs there and waits for his his lady friends you know if they're hopping around they're eventually going to come through and then he'll hook up with them you know uh, as they as they do so so it sounds to me like you lay off this property until it starts getting good late october early november early you, november uh, typically okay have you ever hunted this property early season to see what's in there or is it uh, strictly uh no entry it's i stay out of it i've i've got i mean i've here's here's the deal so i i do about an acre and a half food plot um and it is out on the fringe of this bedding area so um it, it's like a like a horseshoe actually it's not even it's like an open horseshoe shape or an open v and uh and you know, I'm there con well, you know, during June, May, June, July, I'm in there working the plot, setting trail cameras. Um, but I really I'm not saying, you know, I know every buck that's there, but you know, I've I've I'll have trail cameras on that plot. We you know, typically have a clover, a brassica <clears throat> or a bean, uh, and corn. And so, I mean, usually by the hunting season, I have a good inventory of what's right there. And, you know, around here, the deer are just, you know, there's a lot of people. It's not like down by you where, I mean, we see way more pressure, I think, right. than you do. Right. And these deer, especially these big deer, the deer that I'm hunting, the five or six, seven-year-old deer, I mean, it's to, to get a picture of a, a, a six-year-old buck in daylight. It just it doesn't happen until, you know, until the beginning of Jan- uh, November. It just okay. it, it doesn't happen unless you know they were to get kicked up something and run by a camera. But very, very rarely. I mean, I could probably count on one hand the mature mature meaning, you know, I think five or five-year-old or better deer that I I get daylight photos of outside of the rut okay so early and when i say early i say in the summertime um how mm-hmm. often are you going in to check your trail cameras mm, you know that, that depends not never more than never more than probably once a week or once two weeks but um 
you know, it, it kind of just is what, what I'm allowed to do according right. to my life. But, um, the nice thing, you know, all my trail camera setups are, I don't need to, I don't need to go into the bedding area because I know those deer are going to, you know, even if it is at midnight, I really don't care. I just need to know they're there. Um, but they will come out into the food plot. I mean, that clover stand has been there for, I don't know, going on probably five or six years or more. And, you know, the, the does have taken their fawns there and these deer, you know, it's like the, they're, they're training their young to here, this, there's food here. This is where we go. So the, it's, it's pretty cool to see actually, because I can see typically, you know, I'll see the yearling bucks disperse most of the time. It's hard to tell though what a deer does from, from one to two to three. But, um, I stay, I stay out of the thick stuff. I usually drive my four wheeler or I, sometimes my truck right up to my trail cameras and I never shut it off. I open the door, pop the card, you know, change batteries if I need to or whatever. And, uh, I'm out of there in 30 seconds and the deer that are bedded in the bedding area, they may, I may have deer, you know, 120 yards from me, but they're not going to spook. They're in a, you know, as long as I, uh, as long as I don't, you know, intrude on their, you know, whatever their little safety zone is there, they're fine. Okay. So have you noticed any type of transition? I know you don't hunt it until early November, but on this piece of property from what you're talking about. Well, hold on, Dan, before, before I do, I do hunt the food plot. Okay. Starting, starting in late October. Okay. I will hunt the food plot. And so depending on, depending on what's coming into that food plot during daylight hours, like, you know, if, if, if the deer that I want to shoot, if I've got photos of them, you know, at close to, you know, dark or, you know, and I typically only hunt that food plot in the evening. Not, right. I, I don't want to go in and bust anything out of there in the morning, but if I'm getting pictures of the deer that I want to shoot, and it's, you know, at that right there at that transition time, you know, right at shooting light, you know, I may go in and hunt that food plot if the wind's perfect. Um, but I will not, I will not go into the bedding area until the, until the, until the, you know, we're, we're in the rut. Um, and I typically like a little bit later in the rut after those first does have, have been bred. Okay. Um, and those mature deer are starting to look for number, number, victim number two or victim number three. Um, that's when I seem to have the most success. And that's when I get into those bedding areas to catch those mature deer, you know, okay. cruising through there. So do you notice any type of, a uh change on your property as far as deer movement is concerned when the surrounding crops are taken out oh absolutely yeah we've got a lot of corn and this year it was late um so yeah i mean it really isolates or uh you know i mean you t- i would say it's probably 80 percent egg and you know 20 percent other cover right so when they when when that 80 percent or you know let's say let's say corn, let's say, you know, 40, let's say 50% of the egg is corn and it goes down. They just lost all of, all of that cover. So all those little ditches and drainages that they used to feel comfortable betting on, um, now are, you know, they don't feel so comfortable on because they're not in the middle of a hundred acre cornfield. So, um, 
so yeah, definitely, definitely those bedding areas definitely get get a lot more activity once once the crops are done. Okay. So you mentioned earlier some of these in this two square mile area that some of these deer are they're 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 moving around a lot in that mm-hmm. uh, in that maybe pre rut rut stage or getting two miles the one way same buck two miles yep. the other way now yep. a lot of times guys guys will feel that they don't want to go in and burn a particular stand out yep. because of you know because who knows what's coming through at night or whatever but because you have what you've witnessed via trail cameras large distance of movement covered by bucks mm-hmm. are you hunting this smaller confined area more times throughout that that, that the quote-unquote prime time like november well it, it all depends because so i've got you know I, I grew up where i hunt and i've got i've got three or four really key spots where i like to you know hunt some years i may not touch one because, because the deer that I want to kill isn't there, you know, he, he may be there at some point in time, but he's not. I mean, like I really noticed these, these, when these bucks get to six years old, they seem to me to, you know, not always, you know, but it seems to me they really, their home range gets, can get a little bit smaller. Um, and, and they can really take over an area completely. And I think that's what happened to this buck this year. I mean, he was, it was crazy. I was getting pictures of him every single day from uh, early September, uh, right before he went out. He was still in velvet, actually, in early September. And once he went out of velvet, I have pictures of him every day. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, he wasn't leaving. So he was he was a homebody. Um, and I part of the reason is, I believe, because, he just knows that he's going to have all the does he can handle right there. And he has no reason to go anywhere. Um, but maybe that's just me thinking, but um, now, is it sure that, seems that way. Right. So is that something that you've witnessed over the years hunting this piece of property that a big mature buck stakes claim? Absolutely. But, but after I just said that, okay, so in 2014, a good friend of mine, um, two miles away. Okay. So I had this, this buck I called swing and he was, he was just like the buck I killed this year. He got to that, he got to that six, he was seven years old that year. He got to that six and seven year old mark and he never left that farm. I mean, he did, but you know, he was always right there right? in that general, you know, I would say, you know, half square mile area. I mean, same deal photos just about daily after the velvet went off. I know I've got another spot about a mile and a half as the crow flies. And I never had any pictures of sling, uh, as, as, as far as I know for any prior years. So mile and a half away, no pictures of this deer. My buddy was hunting this, this spot, not, not the farm that I have pictures on, but the farm a mile and a half down the road. And we were hunting together. I, I dropped him off and I went on to hunt the farm that we're, you know, where I shot the buck this year. And I got a text at seven o'clock. I just smoked one. 
So I, of course, he had been on a really big, long dry streak. So I got down, we went over, tracked the deer, and here it fling a mile and a half, um, you know, from where he's been every day for the last two months. So, so, you know, I don't know what happened. You know, he got on a, he got, he got a, a whiff of something and just went, and he was following a doe when yeah. he shot him. So, so yeah, I mean, he, he was drunk on love and, and, and got a little, you know, got a little adventurous and wandered and yeah, mile and a half away where I, honestly, I've got cameras just about, uh, you know, from August through the end of January, at least. And, uh, never once did I have a picture of him down there and he shot him right there. So wow. I know sometimes there's just no rhyme or reason, but they do what they do. But sometimes there is, you know, sometimes, right. you, you know, or sometimes, sometimes you just, uh, you do dumb things when you're chasing a, a female. Right. Well, that's, that's a story. <laughs> we won't go, we won't go yeah. too deep into that. <laughs> yeah, we better not. All right. So now this, per, okay, wait a second. You mentioned before we started recording that you were on a pretty dry, you know, dry spell yourself. How many yep. years has it been since you killed a buck? Six years. Six years. Okay. I've, Six years, I've been I've been really really close. Last year, I was chasing <clears throat> I was chasing a giant, and uh, one of the biggest typicals I've ever had the opportunity to hunt. And I was very close a couple times, but never ne- never was able to release an arrow. The year before that, I was close. Uh, actually, two years prior to that, I was close a couple times. But yeah, you know, it's 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 not easy, um, you know, to get a you don't get a lot of opportunities. You may see these five or six or seven year old deer. Right. Very rarely do you get an opportunity to release an arrow at, at one of them. You know, you're hunting the way I like to explain it is, okay, let's say you take a, you draw a two square mile, you know, that encompasses <clears throat> all of my spots. And it, let's say there's a, let's say there's a hundred deer in there, you know, in that area on any given day, you know, out of those hundred deer, Let's say 30 of them are bucks. Okay. Out of those 30 bucks, I'd shoot two or three of them. So, I mean, the, the odds just aren't. Right. I mean, it's a good area. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, I, I feel like I'm very fortunate, but, you know, it, it's not like uh, it's, it's far from, from easy tracking one of these guys down and, and getting a shot at them. And, you know, it's, I hunt. It's not like, I, you know, I'm going out four or five times a year. Yeah. It's, uh, last year I hunted, I hunted more than I have in a long time and, you know, it just never happened, but I hold out for the, for the old guys. For me, it's, you know, I just, I, I, we shoot some does, you know, we eat venison. We love venison. My kids love venison. I mean, they beg me for it yeah. and I, I typically don't shoot deer until either I have tagged, you know, the buck I want or, you know, late season, um, just because you know I'm always hunting him yeah. and I'm afraid yep. if I if I shoot a doe then I'm gonna but then the kids get you know they get pretty ornery if I'm not bringing some venison home so I usually I usually break down at some point in time um, before the end of before the middle of November so cool so so now this particular buck uh, did you have a name for him well he is he is the buck formerly known as crap eight 
he, uh, I renamed him this year. I renamed him Yardstick because he just deserved a different name other than Crap Bait. Um, crab Bait. Crap, like crappy. Oh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he is, he honestly is, he's a genetic, and he's an inferior genetic, you know, he just didn't have the, you know, he didn't yeah. have the gene. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's, he's a, he's a big mainframe a pointer, but you know, he scored one forty. He has a six and a half, you know, and yeah. I, I would in a perfect world, my six, the six and a half year old deer I'm hunting would score more like one sixty or more. Right. But right. he, uh, I've known him for a long time. He's been, I, I found a set of shed from him in 2012. Um, when he was a two-year-old and then uh, didn't find another shed to him until uh, last year, which okay. is odd because he's been there. Um, but many encounters with him over the years. Um, it was cool to finally get him because uh, two years ago when I hunted, I had my daughter with me on the food plot in the ground blind and we passed him up uh, at, I think what would have put him at, three and a half, four and a half right in there. I get my memory is not what it used to be, so but you said he's a six this year, right? And two, and you said last year, your daughter was out with you. No, it would have been the year before when he okay. was four and a half, four and a half. We okay. passed him up. He had a busted G2. Um, and I passed him up that year and she kind of was like, what are you doing? And I said, <laughs> oh. <clears throat> you know, that'll be a deer you shoot in a couple of years while I lied. I shot him this year. So, but <laughs> That's why I always tell my kids because when they're with me at any buck walk, they'll shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's one we're going to save for you when you're old enough, you know? <laughs> and that usually keeps them quiet because, you know, then they don't want me to shoot their deer. So, so did your daughter have give you grief? Like, Hey dad, you shot my buck. What gives? No, she actually, I don't know if she's, she loves going with me, but I don't know if she's gonna, if she's going to actually do the deed. She was happy. She was very happy, um, still to this day. She thinks, what does she want me to know? Oh, she wants me to change his name to Chapstick, not Yardstick. She wants me to change it to Chapstick. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was, it was, she was very happy. She was still, so. All right, so this, this buck, you found his sheds in a matching set, was it, in 2012? Yeah, 2012, land, land right on top of each other. It was really cool. I, I had, uh was scanning this area that had gotten uh, with my binoculars that had gotten mowed late summer or, you know, maybe early fall, like a marsh hay area where, you know, the farmer gets in there on dry years and is able to, you know, harvest the, the canary grass. Yeah. And I was just, I just stopped and, you know, was scanning this big field and I, I saw a couple times sticking up and, uh, yeah, that was, that was when it began. I actually saw him that year a couple times out of the tree stand too. and noticed him because he was a six pointer. Okay. Actually, I take that back. He's a seven pointer. I'm looking at the sheds right now, but he was a seven pointer that year. And then, and then from there on, he actually rotated from a seven pointer to an eight pointer, depending on the year he was, some years he was an eight pointer, some years he was a seven pointer. And then, uh, you know, I, I saw him multiple times, you know, every year out of a tree stand. Always got a lot of photos of him. And then last year, uh, 
saw him on the hoof a couple times. And last year he was a seventh liner, and he was he was pretty big last year. I mean, he had put on quite a few inches. And my buddy Shane, um, we tried talking me into shooting him last year, and I'm like, nah, I was hunting that other that big typical, and yeah. I didn't want to I didn't want to shoot him last year. Well, this year I got pictures of him early September is when he showed up. He he was not on that in that area until early September. And I got pictures of him in velvet, and I knew right away that was the one I wanted to. He was the one he had, he had put on quite a few inches in mass, and from from five to six, and I figured it was probably going to be his best year. And plus, right. I didn't want him breeding breeding does anymore. To be honest with you, he yeah. just it was too. He was I knew he was you know probably going to stick tight there like he did every other fall, and uh, like the last two years he's been. He's been kind of running the farm, really, over there. He's been right. bully buck. So, I tell so you yeah, what, I got pictures. My buddy has a had a scenario. Another guy I know down here in Iowa had a buck. Maybe I think he's even smaller than this, but he was a six, seven year old buck, just a big body deer, very aggressive. When you know, bullied all the other bucks in the area. This guy yep. passed. This guy passed him up, you know, several times because he had other deer in the area. Now the, uh, um, finally one year there was no other mature bucks on his property. He shoots this buck. It's one forty, you know, nothing crazy in the antler department. The next year he had uh, basically a flood of mature bucks come in and yeah. basically what seemed like jockeying for position of this farm. Yep. Then. Yep. So that that's something that might be able, you know, might happen to you, which would be awesome. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. And that's, you know, I was actually, I haven't checked the camera. I've checked the cameras out there once since I've shot them. So I'm, 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 there was, there was three other bucks in that area that were either deer I would have shot. Two of them were deer I would have shot. Um, one of them needed another year or two, but. I'm interested to see. I didn't, I didn't, I had one picture. In fact, the, the other, the one other, he was with, used to run with another, was with an, another eight pointer late last winter. And then he was with him again. The first time he showed up on camera in early September and he's, he's a mega eight pointer yeah. and I never got another photo of him. So I don't know if he, you know, if somebody got him or I'm assuming he, he was told to leave and, uh, <laughs> and he just did. And he didn't want to probably deal with, with, with right. this guy either. You know, he was right. like, fine, I'll go over here. So but, outside of 2012 and finding the sheds and you, you mentioned that, uh, you passed him one year with what would have been what 2014 with yep. your daughter. Did you have yep. any other encounters from the tree stand with him? Um, after 2014, no, cause I didn't hunt that farm hardly at all last year. Okay. The, the buck I was hunting last year, uh, was not uh, a user of that area. He stayed on a, I mean, he was close, you know, he was within a mile at times. Um, you know, obviously I don't have cameras on every piece of property. Right. I have cameras where I, where I can, you know, where I, I know, you know, people let me, you know, hunt or put trail cameras. But that year, that buck I was hunting last year, I never had a single photo of him. I kept thinking he would make it over to that area, and he, maybe he did, and he and, and he just he didn't stick around because there was, you know, too much competition. 
Um, but no, I never even hunted that farm last year. So I thought about them a lot, but, uh, never, never. I mean, I hunted very few times on that farm last year because I really didn't want to shoot them. Right. Uh, last year it was after the Southern Buck. So, right. Okay. So but this year we had a lot of encounters with them. Okay. So when did you actually, this year, this 2016, what was your first, if you can remember date that you hunted this farm? Uh, it was October 23rd, October 23rd. And that was, yep. that would have been over top of one of those food plots or that yep. food plot. Yep. It was, okay. it was out of my hay bale blind, um, on a food plot. Were there, were the crops out by this time? No, nope. There was standing corn all the way around me. Um, and yeah, the, the, the crops didn't get out of here until there's still some standing, you know, in the wet areas, but everything was still up at that point in time. Okay. So October 23rd was your first, you know, time on this property. Did you, yep. were you going in specifically for him? Well, I mean, was it yep. all or nothing on this buck this year? Yep. Yep. I was going in for him. I had pictures. I checked the camera the week before. Actually, it might have. It might have been a couple of days before. I can't quite remember, but I checked the cameras, and I had pictures of them. It had been like three weeks, I think, since I had checked the cameras last, and I had pictures of them two or three nights over that three uh, three week period, right at last light in the food plot. So, you know, I thought, you know, might as well, might as well give it a go. You know, I could get in there without, I mean, spooking anything. And, uh, you know, obviously the biggest risk with hunting food plot at night is spooking them on the way out. Um, but, uh, I got in there and yeah, it was, it, it was a good night and I almost killed him that night. So you, you had an encounter with him that night. Yep. 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 He actually was, I was sitting in my blind and I looked, you know, I was why I had a bunch of does on, on one end of the food plot and my blind sits kind of in the center of the food plot, like right where it makes, you know, the, the point of the V. And, uh, and I was, I had a couple, I don't know, probably five or six does down at the one end. And all of a sudden right in front of me, it was, it was five thirty. It was early. Here comes a doe kind of trotting right in front of my blind at like 15 yards mouth open, tongue hanging out. I'm like, what the heck? You know, immediately it's October 23rd. I'm like, something must've kicked her up. And I got a little peek, peeker window on the side of the hay bell blind and I peek out and I'm like, Oh my God, here he comes. And it was a perfect setup. I had 18 yards. I had a mock scrape set that was getting abused by him um, with a trail camera on a stick and pick right there. It was perfect. And it was, you know, it was a slam dunk shot and I knew he was going to come to that, that mock scrape and show off, you know? Um, so I reached over, I had the camera set up right in the, my video camera, right on that mock scrape. It was just, it was going to be perfect. I mean, it was literally going to be just perfect. And I reached out and I hit record, watched the red light, come on, grab my bow off the hanger, pulled back and sat there you know meanwhile the doe is she's down feeding now with these other does and i'm like okay we're what's going on here where is he wind was perfect um 
And I just slowly kind of moved forward where I could see back, you know, I'm full draw where I could see, you know, back to where I last saw him. And he's standing there looking right at the blind. And I'm like, uh-oh, this isn't good. And uh, I stood there full draw for another, I don't know, probably minute. And I, I kind of leaned the other way and looked out my peeker window and he was walking away from the blind. Um, and he actually, he actually came back, came back in. There's some set aside kind of on the inside of my food plot. And he came back in and stood at, you know, this was 20 minutes after he walked, walked away, but he came back in and I could just see his head at, at probably about 35 yards and just staring the ground blind down once again the wind was perfect so the only thing i can think of is he saw my hand go to the camera or he saw the sun was out and it's possibly saw a reflection off the lens and didn't like it um but yeah what's crazy about it dan is that deer never walked past that camera again the entire season he and I've got pick, I've got cameras I've got three cameras on that food plot one in the middle which is where I was sitting and then one on either end and he was by the other two daily you know like either one or both daily but he never walked in front of that blind again yeah that that uh, that sixth sense <laughs> that they have is is ridiculous sometimes yeah oh yeah well I mean I, like I said I don't know if it's my hand or the or the, he caught something. It wasn't my wind and it wasn't me, you know, could have been my hand, but you know, I was blacked out. So I don't know. I don't know what it was, but either way it was, it was really cool for me to see that, uh, that, you know, once you spook a six year old deer from a ground blind, you're probably not going to kill him out of that spot. So that was actually the last time I hunted that ground blind because I figured he was probably not going to, 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 to walk past it again. So after that, after that hunt, it was, it was, uh, game over until November for me. I, I stayed out of there. I never even, I never even went in there to check the trail camera after that because it was just like, I got to leave them alone. So when was the next time, when was the next date you actually hunted? Uh, early November. I have, I have a stand. There's a tree line on the one end of the food plot. So I have a stand that I can get to without, without you know you know spooking anything and i sat there a couple nights and it was dead i didn't see him in fact i hardly saw deer i was like what that was that might have been actually i think i hunted that the 31st i think i hunted that on halloween and then maybe like the second or third right in there um but i the the next encounter would have been probably right around the 8th um, I've got a stand on the other end of the farm, um, that I can, it's, it's, I call it a ninja set. I mean, I can sneak right in. Uh, there's a, there's actually a house that I have got permission from the homeowner park in their driveway and I can flip through their backyard into this other stand. And I, it's a perfect morning stand because I get the deer coming back from the food plot and this is not a bedding area it's in between a couple bedding areas but this is the, kind of the open part of the farm yeah and uh the open timbered part of the farm and uh i had them come through it was it was actually right at legal shooting time but it was one of those mornings we had heavy fog yeah and 
he, he was on top of me before I even knew it. And it was so dark. I was like, I didn't even pick my bow up because, you know, I knew it was just too dark to shoot. So I pulled my binocs up and he walked right past me at 22 yards. And Oh man. Yeah. So it was close then. So how, then, was, uh, how was he using your property this time of year? Was he just making big circles in it the entire much. time? Pretty much. Yeah. He, <clears throat> it's kind of on a ridge. So I, I obviously, you know, everything typically that, that can be farmed is farmed around here. You know, same as probably down by you, Yeah. you know, if something's tillable and flat enough to plant the crop and it, that's what it's going to be. Well, this is kind of on a ridge. Yep. Um, so it's too steep and, and he, he's running that ridge basically. And, uh, I'm sure his movements extended, you know, <clears throat> off the farm, but that farm in particular, cause I mean, 80 acres, Christ, you can, walk across that farm in, you know, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. So, so yeah, I think he was, but I think he was patrolling, keeping an eye around this, this bedding area, you know, this, in this, in this 30 acre timber. Uh, he, I think think that was his main, main travel area. And, you know, because he's, he's doing the, excuse me, the same thing that, you know, the other mature bucks, that I've hunted on that farm, you know, have done in the past. I've got a pretty good idea, you know, of how they're going to move and yeah, or how they should move. I mean, I, as soon as you think you got something figured out, you don't, but, right. um, yeah, he was, he was basically guarding that bedding area. I mean, really that's what he was doing. You know, just how many waiting. does, how many does were on this property and then, other than this mature buck, was there any other younger deer on younger bucks on this property? <clears throat> well, the does, I'd say there was probably, you know, any given night I'd see, you know, I think one morning in the same stand, I just was telling you, he came by in the dark. I saw 13 antlerless deer and I know they were all different deer. Yeah. They were coming out of different bedding areas, moving in a different direction. Um, so, I mean, I'd say there's, any given day, there's 20 antlerless deer in this in his in his core area. Yeah. Um, and as far as bucks go, it was crazy. Um, there were there was one two year old eight pointer. Uh, once once you know end of October came. I mean, I didn't see I didn't see. There was a couple of yearlings, you know, and I think they were just kind of t- cruising through the area point A to point B and just, you know, wandering aimlessly. But there was one two-year-old that was also on the farm that I saw almost every time out. And that was really the only other buck I saw. I mean, it was, it was crazy. He, he was so tight to that area that in that farm, in that bedding area, he was, there was, (laughs) there was nothing that was getting past him. I don't think, I mean, I really don't. Um, he knew what was going on. All right. So let's fast forward. I mean, did you have, did you have any other, other than the foggy morning, did you have any other encounters with him? Yeah, I had, I had one more encounter with him, which would have been a couple days later where I slipped into a spot. I call my money funnel and everything's got to be perfect. I mean, I've killed, he was the fourth buck out of the stand I've killed. Uh, and every one of them was, you know, 140 inches or better. Right. Um, 
but it's been dry. I haven't killed a deer on that farm. I think it was nine years since I last killed a buck on that farm. Um, but anyways, the conditions were perfect. It was, you know, November, let's say eighth, ninth, right in that area. I hadn't hunted this stand in two years. Um, it was sitting there ready to rock. The wind was perfect. There was a, there was enough wind that I could get in there without, you know, I'm walking right into the bedding area and I've got, you know, I'm, I'm adamant. I have a path that goes right to my stand. It's a direct, it's a direct line through, uh, buckthorn. It's just thicker than thick. I mean, it's a terrible stand for videoing out of, um, but it's an excellent stand to kill a big buck out of because it's so thick. Um, I can get right in and, and, and deer cannot see me. Um, they may hear me, they may smell me, but they're not going to see me. And I don't let them hear me or smell me because I've got the path and then I'm always yep. hunting the wind. Yep. So, so I snuck in there, uh, you know, right around, I'm just going to call it the night and, um, had a great hunt and right at, you know, probably 20, 25 minutes before, you know, the end of when, you know, hunting hours, uh, I had a doe come in. It was actually a really small night. I had seen a, I had seen uh, an up and comer buck. Actually, now now that this reminds me, I did see this buck on that property. It was a nice nine pointer. I think he's a three or four year old. But he came in past me, and shortly thereafter, this doe. I heard some grunting. This doe came in at like twenty five yards and just stood there. And, and I heard the tending grunt starting and I knew right away it was him. Yeah. Um, and he was just growling. I mean, it was the coolest thing, man. It, it is just so cool. when you hear these big mature bucks just let out like a, a minute long growl, you know, yeah. and just, it's crazy. And so this went on until closing, he was chasing off this other nine pointer. He was keeping him away from her. And, you know, I'd catch a glimpse. I had him at, you know, probably 40 yards a couple times, but it was so thick. You know, I, I, there was no way I was getting a shot. And he was just busy, you know, pushing, trying to push this nine-pointer away from her. Yeah. And uh, didn't want to go too far from her either, but was staying thick and tight to her. But he was, he never once came to, to my side of his doe and never got a shot at him that night. Um, okay. But. But it was it was a very close encounter. It was a very cool encounter. So you knew who was in the area. Um, yeah. Were the winds co- cooperating with you throughout this entire time, or did you ever have to like sit off a, a night because oh, yeah. the winds were absolutely, right? absolutely. I did. I mean, I couldn't uh, that spot. I've come to figure out over the years. I always thought a northwest wind was a north or a northwest wind was best for that spot until about two years ago or three years. Actually, it was more than two years ago, probably five or six years ago, when I figured out that a south wind was actually the best wind for that spot because I'm kind of on the top portion of this ridge I was talking about. And a south wind doesn't blow into any of the bedding areas, um, and it blows out over the set-aside field that the deer do bed in occasionally. Um, but they typically bed closer to the timber and I swear my wind, most of the time, if there's a steady, good South wind, it blows over the top of the deer down, down below me and the bed on the edge of this, of the CRP. So um, over the years, I've, I've, I've learned that that South wind is 
south, maybe even a little bit southeast is the is perfect wind for that stand, and I try to stay out of it. But this year, in, in particular that night, the wind was just, it was coming from every direction. It was crazy. You know, it was supposed to be a south, supposed to be a south, southeast wind. And I swear to God, the majority of the night it blew out of the northwest. Right. It was very frustrating. And I was about ready to get out of my stand at, <laughs> at one point in time. But I, you know, I'm like, I'm here, you know, yeah. I'm going to stick, stick with it. So, and uh, yeah, he, they didn't smell me that night. It was. It still stayed in my favor. So you know, I was. I was lucky they didn't get downwind of me because she would have buggered for sure. Um, right. But she never got downwind of me. So okay. So uh, that was. You said somewhere around November 9th. Yep. When did uh, and you had an encounter with him? Just nothing close enough. What about yep. what about the next time you saw him? That that would have been that would have been the time I killed him. Okay. Um, so walk us through from. The, the beginning of that hunt like tell us about the stand if it's something that yep. you've already hunted that your access up until the time when you know you you saw him and then he walked by and, and then gave you a shot yeah well it was the same it was i hunted the same stand <clears throat> that I, we were just talking about it was an evening hunt actually i take that back it was an afternoon hunt i wanted so what what, what had been happening up to that point so like from the ninth to the 12th, I didn't, I didn't go into that stand because the wind wasn't right. I hunted a different stand on the same farm on the other end of the farm that I could hunt with a north wind because that's where the wind was out of. Um, the other stand where he came by me in the fog. And I had been seeing, it was crazy, I got in the stand at 2.30 one day in that, you know, the stand on the north end of the farm or the south end of the farm. <clears throat> and, uh, I immediately was seeing gear movement. Um, the next night I'm like, okay, I'm going to hunt the afternoon. You know, I'm trying to balance hunting and working and, uh, during the rut, which could be very frustrating, but <laughs> I got to hunt, so I'm not complaining. That's right. But, uh, hunted the, hunted the south end of the farm again, got out at 2 PM and instantly deer were, you know, they were moving. Um, so I'm like, I got to get out, you know, and also, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing buddies and people on Facebook that are, you know, seeing, seeing big bucks midday. Like tomorrow I got to get out at 10 o'clock. Well, 10 o'clock turned into a, a 11 o'clock, but the wind was perfect out of the South, straight South, maybe a little bit out of the Southeast or Southwest. I'm sorry. And, uh, I decided to go to my money funnel again, the stand I had, uh, the, the last encounter with him at, and, uh, I have a trail going, basically I walk along a tree line or a fence line and I've got a trail that drops directly to the stand. It's about, it's about a six, it's probably, probably not even 60, probably 50 yards off this tree line. And I drop into this funnel on this ridge and I've got a raked path that goes directly directly through this this buckthorn uh this wall of buckthorn on either side of me and, and it goes right up to my stand and i i walked down the fence line dropped into onto my trail and basically when i go to the stand i'm still hunting um even though i can't really see anything um but they one thing i didn't tell you was the hunt prior that i had that encounter i had that two-year-old eight-pointer 
come run, almost ran me over on the way to that stand. Um, didn't even see me and literally almost ran me over. So I've always had my release on when I'm walking into the stand and I still hunt. I, you know, my path hadn't been raked for, you know, probably, I think I raked it, you know, probably the third week in October when I, when I went in there and, and I actually rake it. I sacrifice, you know, I go in before, uh, before I really start hunting and I clear the leaves off. So I, I've got dirt and there were a few leaves on the trail. So I took my time and I, and I still hunted down this trail. I got about halfway, probably, you know, 25 yards into my trail, 25 yards away from my tree stand. And a deer gets up and I just see the ass end of the deer as it, as it runs off. I couldn't see, you know, it, it was, I could tell it was a big body deer. I could, I could tell it was heavy by the way, you know, the sound of it, of it running. Yeah. And it ran, it was by itself and it ran like 40 yards and then it got quiet. And so I sat there for, you know, probably 10 minutes and, you know, I'm thinking the worst. I'm like, geez, you know, I'm sure it was him, you know, blah, blah, blah. What, you know, all that's going through my mind. And I'm thinking first I thought, you know, he's still standing, the deer's still standing there. And then I talked myself into, well, he ran to the north and he got out to that CRP and that's why you stopped hearing him. It opened up and that's when you stopped hearing him. So after 10 minutes, I'm like, screw it. I'm, I'm going and I, I still hunted the last 25 yards, you know, it took me probably another 10 minutes and I got to the base of my tree and I, I kicked this deer up again and the wind's perfect. Keep in mind, and this deer can't see me. He never saw me. Um, and I'm like, son of a gun, same deal. Ran 40 yards and it got quiet. So I sat there. This time I sat at the base of my tree for, you know, probably 15 minutes. And I can't see anything. I mean, I am in the middle of, I'm in a space, you know, the size of a, you know, it's four feet by four feet at the base of my tree. And I'm in a wall of buckthorn all the way around me. And I sat there and I'm like, you know what? I got to get in this tree stand. I, there's yeah. nothing I can do. So I took, you know, five, 10 minutes to climb my stand. I take a step, you know, and I kind of look around and I was looking back to where I had heard this deer and it's, it's, it's all this, this overgrown buckthorn, honeysuckle, you know, it used to be an, a stand of elm trees, but they're all on the ground. And so it's just, the sun's gotten in there the last 10 years. It just really, really thickened it up. And, uh, I climbed, you know, got up in the stand, didn't, didn't spook any deer. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, got set up, got cooled down. Cause of course at this time I was, you know, boiling because I just was, you know, I, I just kept thinking it was him. I just kept thinking it was him and I kicked him out of there and, you know, I was whatever. So I got in my tree and I said, you know, just forget about it. You know, got set up. And about 20 minutes later, I catch some movement down right where I last heard this deer. And I see a deer moving, and it was acting a little funny. It kind of, like, kind of jumped or ran. I couldn't tell, but it was kind of through a bunch of thick stuff. And uh, I'm like, cool. All right, maybe that was that deer, and I didn't blow it out of here. And uh, 10 minutes later, 5 minutes later, I don't know what it was, I, uh, I catch movement of a deer just up the hill from where I saw the, the last movement. This time it's followed up by a grunt and I'm like, huh, cool. You know, something's going to, you know, something's happening. This is all right. And, uh, 
I'm, I'm focused on, on where I saw this deer, where I heard this grunt, and all of a sudden I hear something kind of, you know, right in front of me. I got this real thick patch that comes to a point right in front of my tree stand. <clears throat> and I catch a deer moving through there, you know, less than 30 yards in front of me. I can't see what it is. Um, but I see the movement, and I'm so, I, obviously I grab my bow and I stand up. And I'm watching, watching, watching. All of a sudden it comes out of this, this really thick stuff into this not so thick stuff. And I see it's a buck and I'm like, huh, cool. And then I see it's him and he's, he's 20 yards in front of me and I could have forced a shot. And, you know, I done, I, I'm going to pat myself on the back here because I really wanted to shoot him right then. But I was like, no, you got to be patient, dude. This is not a, you know, this is not the perfect shot. Yeah. Did you have you know, branches or something in front of you? Well, he, yeah, this, he was in this, this not, it was like this honeysuckle stuff. I don't even know if it really is honeysuckle, but it kind of looks like honeysuckle. Yeah. I should probably you know, figure out what it is. Cause they eat the hell out of whatever it is. They eat yeah. these leaves. But anyways, I can see like from his, his midsection. So like if I skirted an arrow right at the top of this stuff, I could have probably slid it in there, but I'm like, no, just be patient. And uh, he walks right in front of me, 20 yards, 15 yards, and then he, and he walks into this other massively thick patch. And right on the other side of this patch is one of my shooting lanes. And uh, he stops in this thick patch, and he's looking. I mean, I can just see him looking. He is like, what, what made that noise? What kicked me up? You know, what, you know, I don't know if he heard me, you know, one little rustle of a leaf or what happened. But he came back and he was definitely looking for, uh, it was like almost like he had a meeting there with set up with a date, you know, yeah. he's like, okay, I'll meet you back over there. And that, in that little thick spot, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon. And I mean, it was just crazy. He was looking and he's like, you know, you can just see him. He was like, I, you know, I gotta go a little bit further. And he, he actually, he could have went, he could have went north, he could have went south, he could have went west, and he would have been gone. You know, it's just so thick. But he he started walking into my shooting lane, which is, you know, a shooting lane that's been there for 15 years. So it's, it's like I've got the vegetation almost trained at this point. Yeah. And he, as he, his head came into it, I pulled back, and he stepped right into it and uh, stopped and was looking you know, what made that noise and I let it go. I had a, you know, I was, that stands probably 20 feet up and, uh, he was downhill. So I put it, you know, I put it higher on, on his midsection and that, <clears throat> that arrow hit him and he turned and ran and, uh, on his <clears throat> third bound, the blood just, I mean, it was like, somebody turned on the spigot yeah. the blood just started pumping out of him he ran 30 yards stopped looked to the left looked to the right and fell over and never moved another muscle wow. just tipped over right there so, so it was a really good shot it was it was but it was also it was also a, a slam dunk he was at yeah you know 13 14 yards right so right. i mean it was what you dream about Exactly. It's funny too because I killed a six and a half year old deer in that exact same 
uh, he he was he was his footsteps were in the same just almost you know within two feet of where I killed another six and a half year old buck that was in I think 2008 no 2000 no 2006 I believe so yeah it was kind of cool wow you know I got it was an exciting day right for sure you know I have a and the more I run trail cameras and uh I I use this uh little pro a software program called Deer Lab where you upload all of your uh trail camera photos into it and I'm you know I'm flipping through there and it's almost like I, I, kind of what you said, I, I know there are stands out there that I, I'm patient. Don't go in there so early every year and, uh, you know, set up at the right, you know, the right conditions, the right winds. I could probably shoot a buck, a mature buck out of there. Absolutely. Every year. I don't know why I don't do that yet, (laughs) but someday, someday I'll learn. Well, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. Yeah. You know, it, it really is. And, and the reason, honestly, that I find it easier to do, you know, and you probably will as, you know, nine fingers grows to <laughs> to the point where you can't handle it all. You know, it's time yeah. too. you know, it's, it's actually, you start telling yourself, you know, I don't have the time and you go, Hey, you know what? That's probably a good thing. Right. I'm not going in there. You know, I don't, I'm not, I, I, it's not even an option. So, right. If if this is your way of trying to talk me into having a third kid, you're, <laughs> you're out of your mind. <laughs> well, you know what, Dan? Everybody that has three kids wants everybody else to be as miserable as they are. <laughs> so they try to tell you, no, this is the honest to God truth. They try to tell you, oh, you know what? Three's no different than two. It's just zone defense. You know, no big right. deal. Yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> That's BS. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm here to tell you. I'm going to say it like it is. It is not the same not even close that's funny three is three times one and that's exactly (laughs) what it is (laughs) i love it i love it well jesse hey man i appreciate you taking time to uh to come on the show uh, share this story with us and uh let the listeners have another story from wisconsin well i appreciate you uh inviting me to do so And that brings us to an end of another Hunter Profile podcast. Thank you, Mr. Hurley, for coming on the show. I must say uh, I'm jealous of your goatee. It's always looking fine and precious as ever. But but, uh, thank you, Jesse, for coming on the show. Uh, Thanks for uh, taking time out of your day to uh, talk about this year's hunting season. Thanks to everybody who downloads this podcast and takes time to uh, listen to me Share some stories with some individuals who uh, are just like me and you. So thanks to that. Huge shout out to Exodus Trail Cameras and Deer Lab for uh, you know helping me do what I love to do, and that's record these podcasts. And uh, guys, if you haven't already, go to iTunes, leave a review, or you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on Facebook. A lot going on on all, all my social media platforms. Other than that, guys. Try to stay warm. Have a great week. And remember, if you do get out in a tree, wear your damn safety harness.